Sports Radio 93.7 The Fan. Good snowy morning to you. Pat Bostick here with Panthers Insider. We'll be here for the next hour every Saturday, 8 to 9 a.m. on the home of the Pitt Panthers, 93.7 The Fan. Taking your calls today, 412-928-9370. Give me a ring. Let's talk some Pitt hoops, some Pitt football, whatever you'd like to talk. A lot going on this weekend, NFL Wild Card Weekend. So some great games to, to, to watch this weekend. A long weekend with Martin Luther King Day. Should be a relaxing one and a great weekend for football. But it was a very eventful week for Pitt Athletics. We'll talk Pitt hoops. I was down in Durham with the Pitt Panthers, hosting some great folks down there and watching watching a great basketball game at Cameron Indoor Stadium. Obviously, the Panthers fell short, had a cold second half. We'll talk about what happened in that game. Took in Jeff Capel's radio show on Thursday night and really diagnosed – uh, the shortcomings in that game, which really amount to the rebounding and the, and the glass, the offensive glass for, for the Blue Devils. Big game today at Georgia Tech. Panthers finish up a, a, road, a road trip here next week at Louisville. So Georgia Tech, Louisville, and then come home on Saturday against Florida State with an opportunity really to, to, to run off three wins in a row here, but easier said than done. We'll talk pit hoops in segment two, segment three. Going to welcome Chris Peak from Panther Lair to talk pit football this offseason, recruiting, uh, not specific recruiting, but just in generalities. Talk about the new additions to this roster, particularly the WPIAL uh, natives that have returned to Pitt and how they factor in for this 2023 uh, Pitt football season. We're only a couple months away from spring practice. The uh, players are in. They're lifting weights. They're training. They're in class. And uh, 2023 will be here before we know. We'll detail that with Chris Peak. Later in the show, around 8:40. So a lot to cover today, but I want to start. I saw a tweet yesterday from a, you know, there's this account Boomer Sooner, I guess that that ranks everything, and um, they rank the top 50 collegiate athletic directors. And I was stunned to see that Heather Lake was not included on that list. Now again, I, let me preface this: I don't know who that account, who runs that account. I don't know what their their sense of, of uh, professionalism is. I don't know how much they actually know. It, they, they seem to gain some traction. I see a lot of Pitt fans retweeting them when they, when they discuss uh, you know, Pitt-related items or, or rank a player or coach um, you know, in, in their top 50 or what have you. But for, not, for Heather Lake to not be included in that is pretty blasphemous, if you ask me. Um, and I want to talk today, this first segment, about the job she's done since arriving in 2017. I saw a lot of Pitt fans getting around this on Twitter last night because they saw the same tweet I did. You know, when she arrived in 2017, you know, obviously that was, um, you know, the ensuing football season was not the best one, and Pat Narduzzi was going into his third season at Pitt. Volleyball had yet to kind of emerge as a, a true – power but they were consistently very good and tournament qualified but not not the number one seed number two seed they've been these past few years certainly men's soccer was in the early stages of the Jay Vitovich resurgence women's soccer was struggling and I want to fast forward now five years and talk about the Learfield Directors Cup fall standings and Pitt finishing tied six now that may not mean anything to you the Learfield Directors Cup and what that is just to refresh you, for those of you tuned in this morning, the Learfield Directors Cup is a, a, a measure of comprehensive excellence. It's something that Heather's talked about from day one since she arrived here, is being good at everything. 
um, and it factors in a point system for conference performance, winning your conference. It factors in a, an algorithm for postseason qualification, postseason advancement, um, individual champions, all sorts of things. I'm not going to belabor the the point structure, but but Pitt finished sixth in the in the fall standings, which is a significant jump, the highest Pitt has ever been by a long shot. And Pitt has performed well in the fall before under Heather. I mean, the, the last few years, Pitt has continued to rise in Directors' Cup. The spring sports, obviously, you get some some schools with, with a more broad sports sponsorship or powerful baseball programs or what have you. Things tend to even out a little bit, but I want to just I want to buzz over this fall real quick. Two NCAA qualifiers in cross country. That That is not a, a commonality, and I want to – give that program a lot of credit. Brad's done a great job evaluating talent and two NCAA qualifiers is a huge kudos to them. Two final four appearances in men's soccer and women's volleyball. And both those programs have been there before and are looking to crack into that championship game. And and we know that the Panthers gave Louisville all they had and then some in that final four match. But to advance to the Final Four with two programs, it's rarefied air. Very, very uncommon. And the Panthers continue to do it, not only this year, but they've done it before. Three Sweet 16 appearances. Women's soccer probably made the most significant jump this year. And Randy Waldrum, shout out to him, just received a contract extension through 2027. Extremely well-deserved. We've talked about that before on this show. Those two coaches, Jay Vitovich, Randy Waldrum, top of the line. I mean, Mount Rushmore types in, in college soccer. Very fortunate to have them at the Peterson Sports Complex at Ambrose Urbanic Field. He led in these, leading these programs. And women's soccer has a lot coming back for 2023. So there's certainly reason to believe that will continue. And then it's obviously football. Obviously this football program has continued to, to be consistent, continued to challenge for the ACC championship. Obviously this year – there was a lot of promise going into the season. There were some early season, kind of early middle part of the year, some turmoil. Panthers sat at 4-4 four and four in October, consecutive losses to Louisville and North Carolina. Obviously, that disappointing loss to Georgia Tech. But finished the year, rattled off five straight, and won the Sun Bowl and, and finished in the top 25 for the second consecutive year, winning 20 games in two seasons. Now, again, hiring coaches, Randy Waldrum, perfect example extending and keeping Dan Fisher after multiple overtures from very very quality high level programs and I think what people don't see about what what Heather has done and I have a a fortunate to have a, a somewhat of a front row seat is the culture and the level of investment in all these programs obviously there's the facility investment that's happened across the board but you know, budget analysis, making sure that, you know, these, these programs are have what they need to compete at the highest level and to win championships. So they can be evaluated on par with with where Pitt should be in the national scene. Heather's really elevated the level of Pitt athletics. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And it's not an easy job. Pitt is not an easy job. This is not a place that's had comprehensive excellence. If you go back to some would say the the heydays. I mean, Pitt has had some storied tradition in wrestling and track and field and so forth. I, I don't want to diminish that. But but even if you go as recently as 08 and 09, 
when Pitt had you know number one seeds in men's basketball and top 25 teams in football, if you looked across the board and go back and look at those schedules, the records in some of the other sports were not necessarily something to write home about. There were sporadic success, maybe a year or two. Um, you know, women's basketball had a nice run, but but now you're seeing a level of success across multiple programs that is not only unprecedented, but it's it's sustainable. And I think for, for my for my money that 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 just is a huge example of the job that Heather Like has done at Pitt. And for for any ranking system to not include here near the top is is bogus uh, in my in my estimation. Um, but a huge credit to all the programs that contributed to that top six finish in the Director's Cup standings for the fall. Um, just a great story, historic, um, and something that certainly uh, Heather, the entire staff, all those student-athletes, P- Panther Nation should be proud of. I mean, you look at even anecdotally, um, you know, going to games and think about the last two years and, and the fall in the last two years, you know, multiple Final Fours, Sold out Fitzgerald Fieldhouse, sold out Sandy Room only Ambrose Urbanic Field, marquee games, championship games at at Heinz Field, now Acrisure Stadium, Heisman Trophy finalists, first team unanimous All Americans uh, in football, draft picks. Um, the the brand of Pitt Athletics is is on the rise. It's on the rise, and and now you know as we transition truly into winter, as I look at the white ground outside, now it's it's time to continue that. And I think we'd be we'd be doing an injustice if we didn't say that that men's basketball has a huge opportunity here these next four games to to solidify their 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 stance and their potential to qualify for the NCAA tournament. Don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but again, I've watched this team enough and I've 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 been, you know, at every game almost for the last five seasons and or six seasons and probably beyond that. And the level of play is certainly there. We'll talk about the Duke game next, You know the matchup today with Georgia Tech. We'll take your calls, 412-928-9370. Want to hear from you on everything, uh, everything we're talking about so far. Talk about pit athletics in general. Talk about pit hoops, your questions, your concerns. If you want to delve into football, talk about football. We're going to have Chris Peak on later. But I want to talk about this pit basketball team. Talk about this game today with Georgia Tech, 3 o'clock, Billy Hillgrove, Curtis Aiken, with a call down at McCamish Pavilion in Georgia Tech in Atlanta. And we'll do that next. You're listening to Panther Insider right here on 93.7 The Fan. Panthers Insider rolls on this Saturday morning. We're here every Saturday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. on The Fan. Talking hit hoops now, but before we dive into the Duke game and jump into the numbers, let's head out to Tony. Tony, how are you? I'm doing fine. Thank you very much, Pat. Just want to say great show. Listen to it every Saturday. Keep up the tremendous work. Thanks, man. Um, I have a quick uh, football comment. I'm just a little upset about uh, James Franklin and what he did as far as ranking Pitt in the final coaches' poll. Um, I don't know when he's going to start thinking about the, common, the good of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. And if, if you think Pitt's that bad, then why don't you add him to your week out-of-conference schedule every year if you think we're, we're such a, a team below Penn State. I mean, uh, Pitt had one of the in the last two years, we got to be in the top ten of the, the best record in college football out of a Power Five conference. And looking at Penn State's out-of-conference schedule, of course, they play many more home games than they do away games every year. And 
you know, I don't care about Auburn this year, who they beat at Auburn. Auburn was probably the weakest they'd been in 30 years. So I just don't understand why he couldn't rank Pitt in the top 25. We had 10 players out of the UCLA game. They only had one starter out. And, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a close game, but still Pitt came out ahead. And uh, that's my comment on football, on the basketball part. Um, do you know any update on when we're going to get our inside game going better? I mean, we got outscored 34-14 to 14 in the paint against Clemson. I'm not sure what it was against Duke. It was a poor second half. I hope we can uh, come back today, and I'll, I'll let you take it over. Thanks, Pat. Well, Tony, I appreciate your call. I'll start with the, the meteor one, which is uh, the, uh, the Pat Narduzzi, James Franklin – Back and forth, which is, uh, I don't think, I don't know how intentional. I mean, it, certainly to not rank Pitt and to rank UCLA, I think, is telling. Um, again, I, I, I'm i not sure what the beef is. Again, I, I've been on record before. I think the game needs to be played every year. This, the Commonwealth needs it. I think both programs continue to need it, uh, despite, you know, the, the attendance records and sales and so forth at Beaver Stadium. Um, it brings more eyeballs. Uh, the Pitt-Penn State rivalry is a long-standing one, and I, I think it it brings people together, and it it puts all eyes, all eyes on the state of Pennsylvania. Now, to be fair, Pat Narduzzi also ranked Penn State ninth, so uh, I'm not sure if there was some uh, some jabs going both directions, but clearly this is a rivalry. Um, I, I think so much is true. Uh, however, it's not being contested on the playing field right now, and hopefully that's something that. Um, you know the powers that be, and, I, and not even not even at either school, but perhaps at the state level, um, can really look at because I think the economic impact, certainly when it comes to Pittsburgh, is different, and um, I, I do think the attention it, it garners nationally merits consideration when when playing the game. But again, I I, I tend to agree with you, Tony. I'm, I'm not sure how Pitt doesn't get ranked in the top 25 after beating UCLA shorthanded. Relative to basketball, I'm not sure. You know where when John Hughley's going to return. Um, I don't think Jeff Capel is. He said he didn't know prior to the Duke game, and you know that's certainly a reason for concern. Obviously, John had an injury. Um, obviously, John had to rehab and come back from that injury. Didn't feel like potentially he was where he wanted to be. Had some other things, other um, personal considerations he needed to attend to, and um, not privy to to his status. Um, in terms of coming back, I know he's he's certainly being cared for by by Pitt and um, is being given space to to handle what he needs to handle. Jeff Capel has said so much, but certainly they miss him. You and they miss you know a veteran size you know on the interior to deal with some of the some of the bigger guys in this league. Uh, Baycott had his way early uh, against Pitt. Uh, Sands, John Hughley, Clemson, obviously you you detailed Tony the thirty four to fourteen advantage in the paint and when you look at you know the Duke game and the 24 offensive rebounds that Duke had um, you can't help but point to the fact that you know they they are just you know with Duke you've got multiple seven footers in the game at the same time one of which can play on the perimeter and and really can shoot and can score off the dribble drove a couple times talking about Filipowski and when they when they shot from the from the perimeter you know, the ball seemed to end up in their hands if it didn't go in the bucket. And it comes down to, I, I do think there was a significant size advantage. I, I sat just behind the pit bench and could see it. But also, how this team needs to rebound. 
and they've been very good rebounding uh, up until the Clemson game. With the exception of the of the Vanderbilt game, which they also lost by one, they were even if not somewhat ahead in in in, in the rebounding department um, in conference play, and it was coming from a lot of different areas. Nate Santos would get rebounds, Jamarius Burton, Greg Elliott's been solid on the boards. They need to rebound from one to five. Um, obviously, when you look at the the general just physical thickness of their post players, you know, which essentially right now are. You know, I, I'm not sure that Blake Hinson qualifies as a true post, although he will defend down there. He's he's certainly a you know girthier in terms of uh, being able to body up. But you know Federico Federico and and Guillermo Diaz Graham are, are not are pretty slight, and got bodied around a little bit. I think Federico's playing tremendous, but certainly a year in the weight room would be uh, you know of assistance to him. I'm not saying he's a weak player, but you know experience and strength are something that come with time. And, you know, 24 offensive boards, it's going to be hard to win. You know, especially if you look at every other statistical category in that Duke game, Panthers essentially run it. You won, won the game. I mean, if you, if you take away the rebounding statistic, which would be unrealistic, you know, the Panthers shot a better percentage. They turned the ball over less. Um, you know, they, they, they dominated the first half. And I thought – Defended really well on, on first shot defense. It was second shot defense that was their Achilles. Uh, because once that ball got, got, got down low and stayed down low, it wasn't coming out you know, except for beyond the baseline after it made bucket. So that's really the story of the game. I also thought in that Duke game the length came, came through with a defensive switch that Jeff Capel talked about that John Shire and the Duke Blue Devils made and switching one through five. It really clogged the lane up for penetration because this team right now, this pit team right now, does not they're not getting they're not getting consistent inside touches. They'll get inside touches on rim runs and pick and roll, but they're not getting consistent post up opportunities. Jamarius Burton did it a, a bit against uh, Carolina. It's, Henson can do it, but they're not getting consistent inside touches to collapse the defense. So they're relying on collapsing the defense and breaking down rotations with dribble penetration. And when you're switching a you know a ball screen, and you've got seven foot, potentially with athleticism and 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 a, and a you know I don't know what the wingspan was, it's very difficult to beat those guys off the dribble. And you saw a lot of one on one play and and contested shots in the second half. I know contested shots, you know mid range jump shots, shots that frankly you know Nike Sabande and Jamarius Burton and Nelly Cummings made in the first half, but didn't make in the second half. And credit Duke for that, but I, I just don't know that. I just don't know that, you know, right now, this team can rely upon the inside game. They're going to have to find different ways to break the defense down. And and really, when you look at it, I think that you could watch the first ten seconds or twelve seconds of a possession for Pitt, and just watching the game and know whether it's going to be a a good shot or not. It really depends on how much dribbling is going on. When this team moves the ball, they've got so many guys that can shoot. You know, whether it's Cummings, whether it's Burton, whether it's Savande, whether it's Elliott, whether it's Henson from the four spot, you know, coming off the bench. Santos, man, they look good coming off his hand. They're just not going in right now. Um, you know, Guillermo Diaz-Graham can shoot it. He's, he's certainly a guy that can 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 make a, you know, a, a mid-range jump shot or a three-pointer in, in, in a time of need. Federico, Federico is the only guy on the floor that that's not a threat to to shoot from beyond the arc. 
So they do stretch the defense out, but they, they got to find a way to break it down. And certainly you want the ball in Jamarius or Nelly's hands to start the possession, but really moving the ball. The ball started to stick in the second half. We saw a lot more one-on-one play. The good news is today the Panthers will take on Georgia Tech, and Georgia Tech's not a man-to-man defense team. They're, they're, they kind of play an amoeba-style defense. It's a, it's a matchup zone. I don't know how quite to describe it. It's given the Panthers trouble in the years past with teams that couldn't shoot. This Panthers team can shoot. They haven't been as hot as they were earlier in the year right now, but they're going to get some open looks today. And you look at this upcoming schedule for, for Pitt, and it's it's ripe with opportunity. You know, I, I think everyone gets mired down right now in two-game losing streak. It's mid-January. What's going to happen to Pitt this year, right? Because it's happened in the past. Let's call a spade a spade. This team is, has, has not performed well consistently you know, in the middle to the end of conference play. It's something they're trying to get off their back. I think the makeup of this team is different. That is no doubt. The experience level is significantly higher. Um, the toughness, the way they play, I think is much more sustainable. But if you would have told me that starting conference play in earnest, on the road at Syracuse, home against Carolina and Virginia, two preseason top 10 teams, home against Clemson and at Duke, that Pitt would go 3-2 and two in that five-game stretch, I would have taken it. I would have absolutely taken it. Because we know what 500 or above in this league can do. I mean, it almost assures you an opportunity to play in the postseason and pretty close to guarantees you a shot to, to get in the 64. So 3-2 and two in this last five-game stretch, if you cut that, that, that off, now you're going towards right now, you know, what looks to be the bottom of the of the league. And, and that can change. I, I don't want to make any assumptions. But Georgia Tech on the road, Louisville on the road. Georgia Tech's five hundred, Louisville is two and fifteen. Louisville is 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 a shadow of themselves. They're playing better, they're more competitive. I don't want to diminish their ability to compete. And that is not an easy place to play. But those are two very winnable games. Come home, Florida State's down. Home game at the Peterson Event Center on January 21st. And then another home game at the Pete, the second of three straight home games against Wake Forest, and then obviously a very talented Miami team coming in on January 28th. So really this next four games, you've got an opportunity sitting here right now at 4-2 in conference play with losses to Duke and Clemson consecutively. You could be looking at 8-2 and two in league play which last time I checked, you play 20, 20 league games. So you're getting close to that 500 mark already. Again, one at a time. I'm going to assume the coaching mentality here. But basketball within a game is a game of runs. A season is a, is a run, a season of runs as well. And you kind of have to break it up if you're really going to be, if you're really going to be pragmatic about how to get to a position to play in the postseason you know there are segments of the schedule that you've got to you've got to perform in a certain clip. I think they exceeded expectations with the first five, first six really, beating NC State four and two in league play to, to kick things off. Not and playing Duke and Clemson and some preseason, you know obviously Virginia, some preseason favorites. Now you get to the meat of the schedule, coming off two straight losses, but playing what many believe to be the weaker part of your of your conference schedule. 
So very interesting, going to be very telling this next couple weeks. And a huge opportunity for Pitt basketball starts today at 3 o'clock. McCamish Pavilion, Atlanta, Georgia. Pitt, Georgia Tech will be on the ACC Network. Bill Hillgrove, Curtis Aiken will have the call here on 93.7 The Fan, the home of the Pitt Panthers, Pitt Panther Radio Network. We'll look forward to listening to that. And also come back, we're going to transition, talk a little Pitt football. We're going to summarize 2022 with Chris Peak. We're going to put that season to bed. We want to talk about some offseason acquisitions, how that process will continue to to develop, take a look at this pit roster, strengths, weaknesses, this 2023 schedule. We'll cover it all with Chris Peak. He's from Panther Lair. He's an expert. He covers it from the beginning to the end. We look forward to talking to him next. You're listening to Panthers Insider on the home of the Pit Panthers, 93.7 The Fan. Welcome back, Sports Radio 93.7 The Fan, Panthers Insider. We go out to the hotline for another Panthers Insider, and the brains behind PantherLair.com, one of the best to do it, covers pit football, pit basketball, from soup to nuts, Chris Pete. Chris, how you doing this morning? Good, Pat. What's going on? You shovel your driveway yet here in lovely Mount Lebanon? Not yet. Not yet. Gonna. I, I, well, I left the car in the driveway, so there's a whole a whole patch that doesn't need to be shoveled because it was under the car. So That's, you got to think that, ahead. On that. You know, I do the same thing. We got two cars. We got a double wide driveway now that we moved away from you. So I'm uh, <laughs> now I'm uh, I got I got double less to to shovel. But uh, I want to. You know, obviously you. You come on the program a lot with uh, you know the pregame show, and we detail a lot of things analytics related. But looking back at twenty twenty two, I would just ask you to, to, to how do you evaluate the twenty twenty two season? Obviously, we know how the Panthers closed it, but I, there's been a lot of people that said it was a missed opportunity. Uh, disappointing has been a word that's used. How do you categorize twenty twenty two? Yeah, I mean, I, I would use those words. I would say a missed opportunity. I would say it's kind of disappointing. I mean, I think when you think, you know, look at expectations of where they were before the season, which I think were realistic expectations, uh, particularly when you see how they lost. You know what I mean? They end up with two losses in November in Georgia Tech and, and Louisville that, that that shouldn't have happened. I mean, they they should have won those games, and it is disappointing because that's the difference between you know eight and four and, and the Sun Bowl, and you know going you know potentially ten and two. Uh, getting another trip to Charlotte and, you know, maybe ending up on a New Year's Six Bowl two years in a row. We talk about, you know, oh, they've, they've finished ranked in the top 25 two years in a row, two years in a row for the first time in 40 years, and that's great, but they could have had two New Year's Six Bowls, um, you know, you know, two years in a row. And that's it's disappointing because uh, of the opportunity that was there. And it's not like they needed to do anything crazy, you know, or play way above their heads. They just had to beat Georgia Tech, which was, you know, probably one of the worst losses we've seen um, from Pitt under Pat Narduzzi. And, and I would say the, the Louisville game was absolutely one that got away as well. Their defense played well enough to win both of those games. And, and quite frankly, I mean, the offense blew it. So it's, it's disappointing, but then you, you can kind of go the other way too, like you said about how they finished. I mean, they win five in a row. I, I don't think anyone expected them to go from four and four to nine and four. I mean, that's, that's a heck of a turnaround, a, a really good finish. And they played some quality teams in there too. I mean, the, the game had Miami, it's not. It's not. It's not our, our grandpa's hurricanes, but it was still a good win on the road. And then you know, the Sun Bowl, Duke's a quality team. I mean, they had some good wins in there. So disappointing, but uh, an encouraging finish, I guess is how I would say. Yeah, and you you really you detailed the the Georgia Tech and, and Louisville games. Obviously, those games featured multiple red zone turnovers. Um, obviously, I think if 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 you would have come out of the first half of Tennessee not knowing that Keaton Slovis wasn't going to return. I don't think you could have fast-forwarded to the month of December thinking you had to retool the quarterback position 
moving into 2023. You, you may have had to recruit and get a couple, couple supplementary backup guys, but obviously what came to pass was inconsistent quarterback play for the remainder of the season. And you look at this quarterback room now versus before the season and the job. I know you, you know Frank Signetti, as do I, with Phil Dracovic and Christian Valu, and obviously Nate Yarnell still still a factor, Ty Diefenbach. I mean, what do you make of the job they've done, you know, kind of replenishing that room? And what do you make of that competition going into 2023? Because I think it's more of a fight than people realize. Yeah, I mean, they, they totally rebuild it. Uh, I'll give them credit for that. You know, they needed – they needed three things, right? I mean, they needed a veteran transfer to come in and, you know, presumably be the starter right away. They needed a high school kid who could come in and be the future after a few years of development. And then they needed sort of a, uh, a kind of a mid-range transfer, a young transfer who could come in and, you know, you know, presumably be the starter starting in 2024. And, and they really hit all three of those spots. Um, you know, Ty Diefenbach seems like a pretty intriguing prospect out of California as a high school kid. Probably a step down from Kenny Minchie, the, the guy that they had committed, who ended up going to Notre Dame. But I mean, you know, you'll have this sometimes. Uh, so they they found a guy that Frank Cinetti seems seems pretty intrigued with, seems to like his potential and his ceiling. Uh, you know, Dracovic. Uh, it's funny. I was thinking about this the other day, Pat. When when Tid has brought in um, transfer quarterbacks to be the starter, <clears throat> I feel like the last couple times they've done it, they did it when they didn't really have an offensive coordinator in place, right? They brought in Max Brown in between. Uh, Matt Canada and Sean Watson. They brought in, um, you know, Keaton Slovis in between Mark Whipple and and Frank Signetti. Now they're bringing in Phil Dracovic with Signetti already in place, and, and it's it's a transfer quarterback that was sort of handpicked by the existing offensive coordinator. And I, and I I don't think that's unimportant because when you talk about fit for the offense and fit for the team and all that stuff, I mean he, he's got the seal of approval from Frank Signetti, who worked with him for a couple of years at Boston College. So you would think that you're giving yourself a better chance of success than they've had the last couple of times they've brought in transfer quarterbacks to kind of take over the offense. Um, and then, you know, Christian Bayer coming out of Penn State, you know, pretty high pedigree guy coming out of high school. Um, obviously, he saw the writing on the wall in state college that he wasn't going to get that opportunity. So we went looking for a new spot. And yeah, I, I think you're right. I don't think he's coming in saying, I'm going to be the backup in 2023. I think he intends to fight for it. Uh, and try and battle Phil Dracovic for that starting job uh, this spring. But, you know, just the overall job of, of just rebuilding the room. I mean, it's a completely different room than it was a year ago. It's got a completely different look, and you know, I'm intrigued to see how it works out for him. Talking to Chris Peak from Panther Lair, and one of the things Chris does best is follow recruiting, and certainly not only locally, but but the Rivals Network nationally. I want to ask you a question, um, and it's something that's been referenced as – you know, a portend of the future with the transfer portal. You know, Pitt obviously picks up Phil Dracovic. This is his third school, but he's he's back home. Uh, Donovan McMillan returns home. Uh, obviously, there are others out there that have, have not chosen a home yet, but we look even a couple years back to MJ Devonshire. Do you see you know, the, the WPIAL circuitous route to coming back to Pitt being a common thread moving forward, and if so, why? It's been interesting to see. I mean, you know, you mentioned Devonshire already did it. Johnny Patrician did it too, went to Penn State for a couple of years and came back. And then they have a few guys coming in this year. I, I think there's there's two ways it could go. Um, you know, I, in terms of, I, I think, the impact it can have on your local recruiting. Because we know, I mean, Pitt has lost a lot of guys out of, you know, the local recruiting scene over the past few years. They, they get guys here and there, but, you know, they lost guys like, 
Dracovic and McMillan, and you know you can go back through the classes and see the guys who sort of got away. And I think when you have these local guys who go away and then transfer back home and have success, I think there's a couple impacts it can have. On one hand, I think some of the local young guys, up-and-coming high school recruits, can look at it and say, huh, maybe maybe MJ Devonshire should have just gone to Pitt in the first place instead of you know messing around in Kentucky for a couple years. Maybe Johnny Patrician should have gone to Pitt in the first place, or Jacobic or McMillan or whoever. And maybe that influences them to go to Pitt in the first place. Then the flip side is maybe they look at it and say, well, I could still go out, see the world, go play in the SEC or the Big Ten or wherever, and if it doesn't work out, I can always come home to Pitt like MJ did or Johnny did or Phil did. So I think it could be, you know, I'm going to be interested to see how it kind of influences things, if it, if it has an impact on some of the young recruits who are coming up. Uh, but it does provide that opportunity. And, and, and the biggest thing, honestly, I think, is that it just gives Pitt more in you know, reason not to burn bridges. Like if a local kid doesn't commit to you, okay, you don't need to trash him. You don't need to be mean about him. You don't have to have a, a subtweet or anything like that. Just, you know. Wish him well, let him go, and then if, if he wants to come home in a couple of years, you have an opportunity to get a good player. And I think that's, uh, you know, that, that, I, don't, I don't know if Pat Narduzzi is going to take that lesson out of it, but it's probably like, you know, it's the same thing with decommitments or transfers or kids who get away, any of these things. Like, don't burn bridges because there are enough ways for guys to come back around, things to come full circle that you got to, you know, keep keep those doors open all the time. You know, looking at traditional recruiting, you know, obviously this was a uh... – this was a um, a year in which there were some decommitments. I think the high school class kind of it finished up, you know, probably a little le- with a little less spunk than maybe they wanted. But there are some really good players that are that are in this class that I think have a chance to make an impact. And I wanted to ask you kind of your opinion when you look at guys like Jordan Bass, you know, some of the young receivers coming in. Who are some guys in this recruiting class, this 2023 class, that you think have a chance to make an Im- instant impact? I mean, as far as instant impact, I mean, I think, you know, the receivers will definitely be, you know, a position that you look at. They just don't have a lot of numbers there right now. I think they're almost going to have to count on a freshman or two. Um, I, I think, what, last Saturday, uh, the pit coaches were at the game and they had some of these early enrolling guys. And Lamar Seymour, the kid from Miami, was there and, He's bigger than I expected. Uh, I forget we list him at like six foot. He's he's got to be six one or six two. He's he's a good size receiver. I think kind of an underrated receiver in the state of Florida. It's sort of a testament to the talent in Florida that this kid is only a three star. Um, he's a really good player, and I think he's going to have a chance there. Um, Jordan Bass is certainly somebody to keep an eye on. We'll see how the depth at linebacker comes together. But he was just, I mean, just a flat out stud at uh, you know at his high school in Virginia. Led him to a state championship. Uh, I don't think he lost the game in like two years or something like that. He's he's a great player. Um, Isaiah Neal is a really interesting guy. He's a defensive tackle and undersized defensive tackle out of Baltimore. I don't know if he'll find a role this season, but he's definitely a guy to keep an eye on um, for the future. And then. You know, I, I think we we've all come to just sort of accept that this staff is going to do a good job in defensive back recruiting, and they did it again. I mean, Shadarian Harrison out of Florida is really good. Jesse Anderson out of Florida is really good. Uh, you know, I think those two guys. And again, it, it, you have good depth in the secondary. You might not need them as freshmen, but they might be good enough to get their you know get themselves onto the field. Special teams, maybe some you know defensive sub packages or something like that. I, I think they could find some snaps because. They're really good DBs, and you know we, we always say it about the state of Florida that there's just a ton of talent down there. 
And, and it's true that the guys like Jadarian Harrison, Jesse Anderson, Lamar Seymour, I mean, it, it, these guys, not, not to, to, you know, steal the fans line, but if you, you know, you put these guys in Pennsylvania, they're probably dominating four-star prospects, but it's just because they're in Florida where there's all these athletes, they maybe don't stand out as much, but I think they're going to be really good when they get to pick. No doubt. Last one for you, talking to Chris Peak from Panther Lair. I, I mean, everyone has made the mistake of saying who's going to step up for the pit D line. They're losing all these guys. They're losing Kalijah Kansi. They're losing Habakkuk Baldonado. They're losing John Morgan. They're losing Deslin Alexander. We've all made that mistake. I refuse to make it again. With that being said, I think, you know, this coming year is one where uh, some growth is going to be needed for this D line to continue to produce at the level that it's produced the last three seasons. Am I, you think I'm correct in that assessment? Yeah, I, I definitely think this is a uh, um, a transition year for the D-line where you're going to have to have a new crop of guys step up. Nikai Johnson, Dayon Hayes has been out there a lot, but he's going to be in a primary role. Um, Nikai Johnson's going to play a lot. Bam Brima, we've seen some of, but we're going to see a lot more of. You know, and even like a young guy like Sam Okunlola, who, who I think the staff is really excited about. He'll be a redshirt freshman this year, uh, you know, this coming season, but I think he's going to be, he, he's got a pretty high ceiling um, just at the, the D-end spots. And then it seems like those three older D tackles will come back, but you're going to need young guys to step up there too, whether it's Elliot Donald or Sean Fitzsimmons. They, they've still been recruiting those positions really, really well. It's just they've had guys stick around for a long time, and so they haven't necessarily had to move that youth up just yet. Well, now that time is coming, and I think this is going to be that year where you see a real kind of changing of the guard, particularly a defensive end. And like you said, I mean, we are all well past the point of betting against Charlie Partridge or even questioning him, I think, because he's going to, you know, he's, he's very, very good at what he does. And I, and I think we'll see it again this year. Well, Chris, we appreciate you making time. I know next Saturday will be a, a fun day for you. You're going to have your eyes peeled on not only the, uh, the basketball game, but the junior day I think is going on as well uh, in the, in the recruit section of the Peterson event center. So we, we appreciate all the work you do. Your coverage of Pitt is unmatched and, Thanks for making time this morning. All right. Thanks, Pat. Here goes Chris Peak, Panther Lair. Does a great job. Great insight. Really knows his ball, too. I mean, stats-wise, analytics-wise, he, he comes up with some stuff. He'll text me during the week, and I, t- I, 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 I do it with attribution on the broadcast because he, he does great work. Get your pit football season tickets, too, by the way. They're, they're shaping up to be some pretty good games coming up at Akershire Stadium. Next season, obviously, Cincinnati will come to town September 9th. Uh, that'll be a big game. Obviously, uh, a, a top 25 team perennially the last several years. Obviously, new new head coach uh, coming over from Louisville with Scott Satterfield, uh, but an old Big East game. That Florida State game, I think I saw Florida State's already started their Heisman campaign for Jordan Travis, so uh, that may very well be in full swing. Uh, a top five preseason team with Mike Norvell and and a, a returning slew of players for Florida State. That game would have heavy, heavy consequence. North Carolina, Drake May coming to Heinz, or Akershire Stadium. Not too early to get your season tickets and get ready for 2023. It's Pitt basketball today, though. 3 o'clock tip became its pavilion. Atlanta, Georgia. Pitt takes on Georgia Tech. Billy Hillgrove, Curtis Aiken will have the call. On 93.7, the fan, the home of the Pitt Panthers. Appreciate you guys tuning in today. PGT Trucking, Mac Discount, Voss, TV and Appliance. Quite all your support. We appreciate it. Have a great day. Hail to Pitt.